Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, we'll work through the NFL Week 17 board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts, plus some original analysis. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets, and as a caveat, we know any given Sunday can get weird in the NFL, and when it comes to Week 17, things can get downright wacky. The power ratings largely go out the window, a lot of lines this week driven more by information as we find out who's in and who's out, so we're going to tread cautiously. It's a light betting portfolio this week. As David Molinsky would have said, looking at the board sometimes feels like looking through a microscope, but in Week 17, it can be a lot more like looking through a kaleidoscope. That said, there are still some edges to uncover, so we're going to get to those. Plus, I have a very special tribute lined up for David Malinsky as today marks his 60th birthday. We're going to hear from the likes of bettors, bookmakers, media personalities, and some absolute Vegas legends. So you won't want to miss the end of this episode. It's perhaps this show's best 10 minutes or so of the year. But first, to kick things off, as always, with a look at this week's NFL board, let's dive into what we're hearing. Loud noises! I've spent the first couple days of this week listening to the most prominent handicappers on the best NFL betting podcasts, and this episode features insights from six bettors across five sources of content, totaling a little more than four hours worth of listening. I'll distill that down to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, including four bets across the point spread, teaser, and prop markets. Like last week, this hasn't been a typical week of preparation. The deep dive, dream preview, and sharp angles week 17 previews still yet to hit my podcast feed as I record this on Wednesday, so haven't had a chance to listen to all the good information yet that's going to be available. And this week also isn't typical in the sense that several games have been coming on and off the board, pending news, rumors, and speculation on who's in and who's out, so we want to keep the most current information we have available in mind as we lock in any wagers we're going to place this week, and the silver lining is that all this chaos doesn't come without opportunity. Something else we want to consider, a continuing theme down the stretch this season, beware the must-win teams. If you must win this late in the season, then you must not be that good, and also, must-win doesn't mean must win by a margin, so we want to keep that in mind as we look at some of the bigger point spreads on this week's board. And on the flip side of that, for the teams out of contention, the players and coaches are still competing for their jobs, and especially for those teams resting their starters this weekend, the backups that will be on the field really competing for their roster spots. Alright, so we know it's going to be a weird week, but there have been plenty of those already in 2020, so let's continue to embrace the uncertainty and run through the Week 17 board to see what edges we can get in play. First game on the board, Dallas at the Giants. Cowboys laying three with reduced vig, total 44.5. We had two likes on the Cowboys, Drew Dinsick and Andy Molitor on the Deep Dive podcast, but I'll note they took this on their Sunday Week 17 opener show, and that line was Cowboys minus one. That value's all but gone at minus three. If anything, the value's tilting toward the Giants, and to that end, we have three likes on the Giants, Adam Chernoff on the Simple Handicap, Suma on the Matchbook podcast, and Steve Fezzik on the Even Money podcast. I think Adam presented the most robust handicap here. He noted the teams appear to be moving in different directions the last three weeks, but a lot of that's tied to strength of schedule. For the Cowboys, it's been a cakewalk. They've played the Bengals, 49ers, and Eagles, and against the Bengals, they were facing backup quarterback Brandon Allen while he was playing through a knee injury. They got the 49ers when they were down to their final straw with backup quarterback Nick Mullins, plus a decimated defense, and the Eagles also had an injury-ravaged defense the Cowboys were able to take advantage of last week. Fezzik also notes the Cowboys have gone plus 9 and 
turnovers over the last three weeks, so they've been getting unsustainable turnover luck on top of that soft schedule. For the Giants, on the other hand, Adam notes it's been tough sledding going up against the Cardinals, Browns, and Ravens over the past three weeks. So the Giants' worst opponent over the past three weeks, better than the Cowboys' best opponent over that same time span. Plus, for the Giants, when they had to play the Cardinals and Browns, it was Colt McCoy under center. And for the Ravens, they got Daniel Jones back, but it was his first game returning from injury, and they drew Baltimore when the Ravens were getting healthier and surging down the stretch. Adam also notes the Giants' defense represents a step up in class for the Cowboys. Suma touched on this point as well. And on the other side of the ball, schedule aside, Adam notes that Daniel Jones making consecutive starts for the first time since November, that's a good sign for his health and his mobility. Fezzik and Suma shared that sentiment as well. Last point in Adam's handicap, this game's price is if only Dallas is in the must-win situation, but that applies to both teams here. And a couple quick notes from Suma, this game's only a lean for him for now, but he said he does plan to play it if and when Daniel Jones gets in full practices. That mobility is going to be crucial so he can present a bit of a dual threat dynamic against the Cowboys defense. Suma does like that the Cowboys defense missing two starters from its back seven. I also like that the quick picks algorithm at Dimers.com is showing a healthy 8.2% edge on the Giants to cover this spread at plus three. Up next, Pittsburgh at Cleveland, Browns laying 10, total of 42, one like on the Steelers, Drew on the Matchbook podcast. He said he sees value on the Steelers at anything more than a touchdown, the earlier line of plus 7, already factored in the Steelers' resting starters, and Drew also notes the Browns' COVID list is growing. Last I saw before I started recording, Cleveland has 10 players on its COVID list. Seven may be eligible to return for Sunday, but we're still getting a bit of a free roll here that the Browns could be limited or shorthanded, and I'm inclined to agree with Drew on the Steelers' side here. The double-digit point spread with a total as low as 42 calls for an awfully high degree of dominance from Cleveland, and unfortunately this game has come off the board at some books because of the COVID news for the Browns, but when it reopens, I think the Steelers are still good for a reduced amount, down to plus eight and a half. It seems like the motivation narratives for the Browns' must-win spot and the Steelers resting their starters are getting taken way too far here. This seems like a classic case of must-win not equating to must-win by margin for Cleveland. Next game on the board, the Jets at New England, Patriots laying three with some extra vig, very low total of 39.5, the first of many games we'll say it this week, so get used to it, no action on this one, so let's move on. Up next, Minnesota at Detroit. The Vikings laying 6.5 for a cheap 7, total 54.5. Once again, no action on this one, so we'll move on to the next game on the board. Atlanta traveling to Tampa Bay. Bucks laying 6.5 with reduced VIG, total 50.5. We had one like on the Bucks, that was Fezzik. One like on the Falcons, that was TA. He posted this on Twitter, and that tends to align pretty closely with what he mentions on the Sharp Angles podcast. On the Bucks side of things, Fezzik notes, Tampa Bay showed two weeks ago in the second half in Atlanta, it can pass at will against the Falcons' secondary. He expects more of the same for the duration of this game. And on the other side, TA liking the Falcons, knowing that Bruce Arians has said the starters are going to play on Sunday for Tampa Bay, but TA not convinced they're going to play the full game. So this is a bit of a free roll that the Bucks don't go all out. They're likely going to get the five seed regardless of whether they win or lose this one. And TA thinks this is still a fair line for the Falcons, even if Tampa Bay brings a full effort. Up next, Baltimore at Cincinnati, Ravens laying 13 with reduced VIG, total 44.5. Once again, no action, we're going to move on. 
Miami at Buffalo. This one's off the board, but I think it's worth discussing for a moment. The Bills possibly going to be resting their starters, and the Dolphins' quarterback situation a bit of an unknown. For Buffalo, they're expected to rest some of their starters for at least part of the game because of the news that the Steelers also looking at resting some of their starters. And if Buffalo and Pittsburgh both lose this weekend, the Bills hold that tiebreaker for the two seed in the AFC. On the Dolphins side of things, it sounds like Tua's going to be starting again, and I have to think we see a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick if they want to win this game. We might see Tua play the full game if they realize they're not making a Super Bowl run anyway, so they might as well build for the future, but it's difficult to fathom Brian Flores and his staff thinking that Tua gives them a better chance to win this game than Fitzpatrick. So we're going to have to stay tuned for more info on who's starting and who's playing for how long for both teams, and in the meantime, we can move on to the late window on Sunday, Jacksonville at Indianapolis. Colts laying 14, total 49 and a half, one lake on the Jaguars, that came from Fezzik. He brought up a narrative, the Jags have already locked up the number one draft pick and there's no reason for them not to give the full effort at this point, and he also addressed the point that the back door could be wide open in the second half. I'm going to dismiss the narrative about the number one draft pick. The players and coaches on this Jaguars team should be giving their full effort regardless of draft position in 2021. But I do understand Fezzik's angle about the back door being wide open. This is another case of must win for the Colts, not necessarily meaning must win by margin. Frank Reich would be just as happy to win this game by 10 or 13 as he would by 14 or 17. Up next, Green Bay at Chicago, Packers laying 5.5, total 52, two likes on the over, Drew and Zuma both making this their best bet on the Matchbook podcast. Zuma seemed more bullish on it than Drew, he said his fair price for this total is 54, and he notes the Bears have a top 6 offense if you look at expected points added per play since week 13, and he has reason for making week 13 that cutoff point. He says the Bears have used Mitchell Trubisky differently since then, they've been rolling him out more, simplifying his reads, also letting him run more. And Suma does note the Bears' offense has been playing better recently, but a lot of that surge has come against soft defenses, and that's not necessarily a detractor from the over this week, because Suma notes the Packers' defense overrated in his eyes after it shut down the Titans on Sunday Night Football last week. All Green Bay had to do was stack the box and take away the run. The Packers' defense wasn't really challenged to do much of anything else. Suma also notes on the other side of the ball, the Bears will be down one if not two starting cornerbacks, and he says the Packers have the best offense in the league by a mile. One last point in Zuma's handicap, looking at the MVP race, Patrick Mahomes going to be out this Sunday, so the award is Aaron Rodgers is for the taking with just one more strong performance, and a strong performance from Rodgers this Sunday bodes well for that over. I'm going to end up passing on the total here. I think the best of the number is just a little too far gone, but I will be getting in play on a similar angle with a prop bet coming up later in the show. Next game on the board, Tennessee at Houston, Titans laying 7.5, total 56, two likes on the Titans, Drew and Andy on the deep dive. This was another bet they placed on their Sunday Week 17 opener show, and they got the Titans at plus 7, taking a free roll that there might not be Deshaun Watson or he could be limited if he does go. Consider a reduced amount if you're looking to lay more than a touchdown with the Titans here, but the way I'm looking at it, there's few good teaser candidates on this week's board, Tennessee definitely looking like one of them. Up next, New Orleans at Carolina, Saints laying 6.5, total 47.5, no action on this one, so we'll move on and talk some Chargers-Chiefs. I know that game's off the board, the Chiefs are resting some starters, and the Chargers, likely to reopen, is a clear favorite. So, something we've touched on a couple times in recent episodes, as a Chargers fan, I'm afraid, but increasingly convinced, Anthony Lynn, somehow gonna keep his job, and Justin Herbert 
won't get the competent head coach he deserves for year two of his brilliant young career. But Chargers fans like myself do have the offseason to process all this, so for now let's keep the focus on week 17 and move on. Seattle taking on San Francisco in Arizona. Seahawks laying six, total 46. Two likes on Seattle, Adam and TA. I want to note both of these likes came before the line hit six. Consider a reduced amount if you're looking to lay six with the Seahawks. Also one like on the 49ers, that came from Fezzik at plus five and a half, so there's been a slight line move against his pick there. On the Seahawks side of things, Adam notes they have a chance at the one seed, but they'll need to thread the needle to get there. It's going to take a Seahawks win, plus a Packers loss, plus a Saints loss or tie. So those are some really slim odds that all three of those pieces come together. But Adam notes Pete Carroll has a track record of not resting anyone as long as there is a chance. And on the other side for the 49ers, Adam says, story of their season, still decimated by injuries. As far as the 49ers handicap goes, Fezzik notes they've been the victims of some misleading final scores lately, a lot of bad turnover luck, but he sees some strong signal in their yards per play numbers. So Fezzik thinks the Niners could be in for some positive regression. Next game on the board, Las Vegas at Denver, Raiders laying 2.5, total of 51, another game with no action, so we'll move on, Arizona at the Rams. This is another one that's off the board, but warrants some discussion. For the Rams, we know Jared Goff is going to be out, it's going to be John Wolford starting at quarterback, and for the Cardinals, Kyler Murray's status is uncertain, and for Arizona, the backup quarterback also on unknown if Murray can't go, so it's possible we'll have backup quarterbacks for both teams in a game they'll have to win to make the playoffs if the Bears can beat the Packers. What we do know, if the Bears don't win, the Rams are in regardless of this game's outcome, and the Cardinals eliminated with a loss in this game, so the takeaway here, messy quarterback situations, messy playoff scenarios, too many unknowns, so even if this game gets posted soon without a lot of clarity, this game likely still a pass regardless. And in the regular season finale on Sunday Night Football, we have Washington at Philadelphia. Washington laying one and a half, total 43 and a half. And the reason we get this game on Sunday night, even though the Eagles are already eliminated from playoff contention, is because it's win and in for Washington. And if Washington loses, the Cowboys-Giants winner takes the NFC East title. One like on the Eagles, that came from Adam. One like on the under, that came from Drew on the Matchbook Podcast. And one like on the over, that came from Suma, also on the Matchbook Podcast, going head-to-head with Drew on this total. On the Eagles side of things, Adam notes that Washington is a favorite. Looks like an overreaction to the must-win angle against an Eagles team already eliminated from contention. Adam simply can't get around to seeing Washington as the better team here. And looking at the total, on the under, Drew likes the Washington defense to shut down the Eagles offense. On the other side of the ball, he thinks Alex Smith going to be limited if he goes, and the Washington offense even more limited as a whole if Smith can't go. And I think it's worth adding that since Drew presented this handicap, we saw Taylor Heineke getting first team reps for Washington in practice on Wednesday. Looking at Suma's breakdown for the over, he says the Eagles' defense is already decimated in the secondary, and now he doesn't expect them to get much of any pass rush without Fletcher Cox going on Sunday, so Washington should be able to move the ball. And on the other side, he expects the Eagles to compete and be aggressive with nothing to lose. I'm not going to be making the same bet in this game as Adam, Drew, or Suma when it comes to the side or either end of the total, but I do like the Eagles as a teaser candidate, taking them up through the key numbers of 3 and 7 with that low total, increasing the relative value of each point we get by taking the Eagles up. Also, Washington's offense presents minimal blowout potential. But one caveat here, consider holding back some bankroll to take the Eagles at plus 3 or better if Smith and or Terry McLaurin are confirmed in for Washington and the market reacts. 
And if you do hold back, also be ready to add on quickly if Smith is announced out as the line should then move closer to pick him. Bottom line here, I think teasing the Eagles is locking in a strong position, and I like the idea of holding back some bankroll so that we can be flexible based on any news we get later in the week. Alright, so that wraps up the Week 17 slate. We'll get to the betting portfolio for the weekend shortly, but first, it's time for a beer break. Let's get into what we're drinking. Now before we look ahead to this weekend, a quick note reflecting back on the year in beer. I've reviewed my top 10 beers of 2020, and you can check out that write-up at dimers.com. It covers lagers, sour beer, stouts, and of course IPAs of all shades and sizes. I'll drop a link in the show notes for easy reference. It's been a trying year. Thankfully though, still a banner year in craft beer, so it's nice to end it on a high note, both looking back at the best of the best over the course of the year, and also right now getting into something to look forward to for this weekend, a for sore eyes and a belated Christmas miracle to have this one heading to LA. And this one's a bit of a follow-up to last week's Malinsky Minute, Double Dry Hopped, Double Citra Daydream, Imperial Oat Cream IPA out of Other Half Brewing Company in Brooklyn, New York. Double Dry Hopped, Double Citra Daydream clocks in at 8.5% ABV, and the appearance, bright, hazy orange with a pillowy off-white head. I'll post a photo on Instagram, at Props and Hops. Getting into the aroma and flavor, this is where the Citra Hops really shine. Notes of pineapple, grapefruit, and orange. Also a touch of vanilla with no hint of the ABV. ABV. With the mouthfeel, the oats give it a nice, soft, and creamy body, but it never gets cloying. This one's exceptionally drinkable. So overall, double dry hopped, double citra daydream, about as flavorful and smooth as it gets. Now it's rarely a smooth ride on an NFL Sunday as we all know. It's all about grinding out small edges over time, especially in a week like this. So with that in mind, let's get into what we're betting. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. Not as much gambling as usual this week, if that's any solace, Claude Rains, but we do have four bets hitting the portfolio for Week 17. Two sides. First up, the Giants plus three, good up to minus 115, and I'd recommend putting a quarter of the wager amount on the Giants' money line at about plus 135, since the Giants have a very real chance of winning this game outright if they cover the point spread of three. I think this line should be closer to pick em. We're getting some value on the Giants because the Cowboys getting overvalued based on some high-profile wins against lesser opposition over the past few weeks. Weeks. Second side this weekend, the Steelers plus 10. I think this line should be much closer to a touchdown, but we're getting an overreaction to the Steelers resting their starters. Yeah, it's must win for the Browns, but again, that doesn't mean they need to win by a margin, especially with the degree of dominance required to win by double digits in a game with the low total of 42. If you can't get access to the plus 10 here, I know this game's not on the board everywhere right now, I do make it good for 8 tenths of a unit, down to plus 8 or better once it does get reposted. Also playing one teaser this week, taking the Titans down to minus 1.5 at the Texans, and pairing them with the Eagles, taking them up to plus 7.5 hosting Washington. For Tennessee, it's a numbers grab, getting them down through those key numbers of 7-3. and three. Also a free roll if Deshaun Watson sits out or is limited on Sunday. If we get news that Watson's out, this point spread's probably going to shoot up into double digits, so it's fair value if he does go, and if he doesn't go, it could become great value. On the Eagles side of things, I don't expect them to roll over for Washington, especially a Washington team that brings minimal blowout potential to the table. And as previously mentioned, I am holding back some bankroll to add on if Alex Smith is out, or to play back on the Eagles at plus three or better if we see Alex Smith confirmed as being a go on Sunday. Also one prop in pocket, we alluded to it earlier, 
Bears-Packers, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I make this good up to minus 170. This isn't the highest total on the board, but it is still a high total, so the math checks out. And this is also a matchup with very little uncertainty around motivation for each team, as well as who's playing for each team, and that's something to value highly in a week such as Week 17. I know this prop didn't cash last week at Lambeau in the Packers game, but it has still hit in 11 of 15 Packers games this season, and I think there's a good reason for that. The Packers haven't been predictable at the goal line this year. The ground game always in play from the one, and Aaron Rodgers eight one-yard touchdown passes this season, padding his case for that coveted MVP trophy. On the other side of the ball, the Bears bring a dual-threat dynamic to the table with Mitchell Trubisky running more often these days, and neither defense in this game likely to put up too much resistance at the goal line. So a rapid-fire recap, two sides, the Giants plus three and the Steelers plus ten. One teaser, Titans minus one and a half, paired with the Eagles plus seven and a half, and one prop, Bears-Packers, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. Now I'm going to do a quick sign-off here in advance of a very special Malinsky Minute that'll end this episode. You don't want to miss it. It was too good not to end the show with words from the likes of betters, bookmakers, content creators, and some Las Vegas legends who knew Dave best to honor his 60th birthday. Before then, I'd like to wish you a safe and happy new year, and quick heads up, early in the new year, I'll drop a bonus interview episode with a World Series winning general manager. His story's even more remarkable outside of baseball, and this person has character that more closely resembles Dave's than anyone else I've ever met. So if you're a fan of sports, or the best of humanity in general, you'll want to hear this. Be sure to subscribe to Props and Hops to automatically get the episode in your podcast feed once it drops. And I'll be back next Friday on the regular NFL schedule with an episode breaking down wildcard weekend. For now, let's move on to quite possibly the best segment in this show's young history with a special edition of the Malinsky Minute. Alright, so as mentioned, today is Dave's 60th birthday, and that's a special day for a lot of people, full of mixed emotions. I was fortunate to know Dave as a friend and father figure, a partner and a mentor, and point-blank the best person I ever met. To honor his legacy, I'll read a quote from Dave that resonated with his inner circle of friends and family after his untimely passing in the spring of 2018. And after that quote, I'll play a tribute I compiled with contributions from several names you probably know and some others you might not know yet. But this came from people across many different walks of life. Some knew Dave for decades, others only knew him through his point-blank column and media appearances, but the common thread, they all admired Dave and considered him a friend. That's a testament to the unparalleled range of Dave's curiosity and overall character, and as a testament to his wisdom, I think it's fitting to reflect on some words from the man himself. So here's a quote written by Dave that we can all take to heart. He was inspired to write these words by a visit to his old friends in high places, the Bristlecone Pines on Mount Charleston, and he titled it, Looking Towards the Light. If there's a universal message that we can establish, let it be one of the light being eternal, always shining regardless of whether our temporary circumstances allow us to see it, and the understanding that the light isn't a particular place or moment, but is what makes it possible to better understand the incredible mysteries and beauties of our existence across all places and moments. Without it, sometimes we only see clouds. And now moving on to the tribute from others, I'll cut to audio from the rest of the contributors, but first I'll read a message I received via email from two-time Super Contest winner Steve Vezik. Steve appeared with Dave on the Dream Podcast during Dave's time with Pregame.com, and Steve and Dave together were a weekly must-listen for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of aspiring sports bettors, including myself during some very formative years. Here's what Steve had to say. 
What most impressed me with Dave is how well-rounded he was versus his peers. Almost all of the other top sports handicappers and betters I know tend to be very one-dimensional. Dave had a wide variety of other interests, and I was always impressed with how he found time to appreciate other aspects of life. Instead of just staying close to the Vegas Strip, he knew and loved the Vegas so few ever explore. The 11,000-plus-foot mountains, the outdoors, the hiking, and his appreciation of the environment. I don't know anyone else in our field that recognized how awesome it was that Vegas offered this and took advantage of it. And in just a moment, I'll toss it to Mitch Moss. Some of you likely know Mitch as the host of Follow the Money on VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. And Mitch had Dave on Follow the Money for some captivating segments the betting world woke up to on weekday mornings during VEASAN's infancy in 2017 and 2018. So here's Mitch, followed by other friends of Dave's, to take us home. Happy 60th birthday, Dave. Dave Malinsky was one of the sharpest minds I ever met in the entire gambling space. It was a privilege to know him. And it was just so great to listen to him talk and break down a game and come up with angles that only he could. He was truly one of a kind. And I said this a long time ago. This is before sports betting became legal across the country. And as Dave was coming on with us and followed the money on VEASAN a couple of times a week, I said, as this thing was starting to take off like wildfire, Dave Malinsky is going to become a rock star. And I said it back then, and I firmly believe it today. Uh, Maybe nobody would have been as big as Dave Malinsky. He was that popular. He was, again, so good at what he did and the the amount of knowledge that he had and what he was willing to share with people and how much you could learn from him was priceless. Hi, this is Roxy Roxborough, reminiscing about my good friend Dave Malinsky. Dave was both a mentor and a friend of mine. He had an amazing way uh, to draw analysis from various sporting events. And after reading his stories, I'd often call him up and ask him, how can you say that? Why do you think that analysis holds true? And he'd explain it to me with plenty of more. He was data-oriented, and he had a good thought process. We drank a lot of craft beers together. He educated me on that, too. Maybe a little bit too much. But anyway, Dave, I miss you, buddy. My name is Isaac Feeder. I'm a film director and television director, and I met Dave while directing a documentary called Life on the Line, and then we started working more closely together while making while I was making a piece for Vice World of Sports on betting. And Dave Malinsky and I became fast friends. I miss him so much, especially around this time of year, when I most certainly would have come to Las Vegas to hang with Dave. And what Dave was so great about in Las Vegas was finding places to find quiet. We would have wonderful meals together and drink really good wine somewhere off the beaten path, somewhere completely authentic and awesome. And I miss watching an important football game over the playoffs and Dave just not caring because the lines were so sharp. There was just no edge to find. And we would just talk and drink instead. But, um, I loved seeing Dave my few times a year, every year. I miss talking with him about great writing and great acting and great film and television. And I also miss talking sports. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for the time we had together. I'm thankful I saw the mountains that were so important to him. And um, I miss him so much. Hi, this is Bob Scucci. My wife, Jen, and I always felt that 
Dave Malinsky was one of the very few people whose company we'd rather have more than just about anyone else. He had such an appreciation for life. I've known Dave for, for almost 30 years um, from the sports betting world, but that was usually the very last thing we ever talked about when we got together. Usually uh, we talked about kind of the finer things in life and uh, food and wine or beer or spirits um, or nature, travel, history, politics, uh, just about anything but sports. Uh, he had such a unique perspective on just about anything. Uh, my wife and I always used to say that anytime we left a dinner or uh, meeting Dave, we always felt a little bit smarter and we felt a little bit more enlightened and we always felt a lot happier. Um, we miss Dave terribly. Hi, this is Mike Roselli from the Doggy Juice Podcast, and not a day goes by when I don't feel the presence of the late, great David Malinsky. I can honestly say that even though I never met the man in person, he quite literally changed my life, just like I'm sure he changed many of yours. It can get messy in our corner of the world here in the sports betting space with hot takes from touts flooding the mediaverse, a term Dave liked to use, and with most people out there just looking for their next winner in the next game. Yes, Dave gave us plenty of winners over the years, but more importantly, he taught us how to think like sharp sports bettors, how to approach things the right way, and he gifted us with his unparalleled way of viewing things with handicapping principles that will outlive all of us and last forever. But perhaps most importantly, Dave taught us all that there's so much more to life than merely finding value on the betting boards, and that it is indeed possible to be well-rounded while also locking yourself in a room with three days' worth of Lotus of Siam during a busy weekend of football. What I'll always admire the most about Dave was his ability to wear so many hats, to juggle so many projects, all while remaining humble, modest, and kind. It's one of life's great misfortunes that Dave can't be here today to celebrate his 60th birthday, but his legacy will live on through all of us. So cheers to David Malinsky a man whose reach knew no bounds and whose impact will last forever. It's the 28th of December, and I'm here thinking about my friend David Molinsky. My name's Arnie Lang. I'm here in Las Vegas. Over the years, Dave Molinsky and I did dozens of radio shows, probably more than 100. And in those shows, he always carried me because, as other people have noted, Dave was always the smartest guy in the room. Uh, not only was Dave a, a business partner, so to speak, uh, beyond that, he was one of my best friends. Uh, we always gathered for Thanksgiving, uh, and on this day, the 28th, uh, he would always be in flight coming back to Las Vegas. It was important for him to spend the Christmas holidays with his family back east in Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and then he would return right in time for his birthday on the 30th. The thing everybody liked about Dave was uh, uh, he was he was a, he was a Renaissance man. Uh, you would never find a sports handicapper who had so many diversified interests. I mean, Dave could talk about gourmet cooking. He could talk about craft beers, and he became late in life he became an expert on all things of of high desert vegetation. <laughs> Imagine that for someone whose daily routine consisted of handicapping the games. Uh, Dave was a great friend. It was a terrible loss, and I'll always remember him. Dave, wherever you are, happy birthday, my friend. Mm-hmm.